you'll find your copy of God's Word today and be turning to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be there in just a few minutes. Hebrews chapter 10. And I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. I don't want you to answer out loud. I don't want you to share with your neighbor. But I want you to answer this in your own heart, in your own mind. And that question is simply this. Why are you here this morning? Why are you here this morning? Now, if we were able to talk after service today, you and I went out to lunch and I said, listen, why did you come to church this morning? Why are you here? Some might say, well, my parents made me. Some might say my wife made me, my husband made me. Others might say, well, it's the responsible thing to do. It's the respectable thing to do on a Sunday morning. Others would say, well, it's a habit. I've always gone to church on Sundays, and so I just continue to go. Maybe others would say, well, preacher, to be honest with you, if I didn't go, I'd feel so guilty. I couldn't enjoy not being there anyway, so I just come. Um, Some are here, I doubt many, but some are here because there's nothing else going on today. I mean, the Super Bowl doesn't start till later tonight, uh, so I've got a little bit of time, so I thought I'd come. It's too cold to be outside. Some you may have come today because someone invited you. Some may be here because you're seeking something. You don't know what, you don't know who, but you came hoping to find some answers to some questions and you're not even sure what the questions are. And others will say, well, preacher, I'm here because I want to worship the Lord. I want to gather with his people. I want to be joined together in fellowship and praise. Can I just say to you, whatever the reason, I'm glad you're here. Whatever your reason, I'm glad that you're here. But I think we'd all would agree that there are some motivations for church attendance that are better than others. But the fact that you're here for whatever reason, maybe you were made to come. is a good thing. You're in a place where God can use your attendance to speak to your heart, to change your direction. And if need be, even get you to the place where you move from having to come to where you want to come. We've had a little break. We celebrated the Lord's Supper. We had Baptist Men's Day. But if you've been here this year at all, you know that we're in a new series of messages called Number Your Dates. And we've taken as our theme verse a verse from Psalm 90, verse 12. And I'd like you to say it with me. We won't say the reference, but just say it out loud with me. Would you? You can read it off the screen. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And we're seeking not only to count our days as the scripture invites us to do and instructs us to do and tells us to do, but to make our days count. Not just to realize that time is short, but to make the most of that short time to gain a heart of wisdom. And we're looking at some priorities in our lives. Some things that should be in our lives to make sure that our days count. So far, we've talked about the fact that we need to spend time in the Word. We need to spend time in our Bibles, in the Word of God. We've talked about that we need to spend time in prayer. And today, we want to add a third priority. If our days are going to count, if we're going to have a heart of wisdom, there's a third thing that we need to spend time in. You probably can guess what it is. We need to spend time In church, you say, well, uh, you're a preacher. Of course, you think we ought to spend time in church. Well, you're right on both accounts. I am a preacher and I think we ought to spend time in church. But don't take my word for it. 
Let's see what God has to say about this whole matter. Now, you realize, beloved, just as way of a, kind of laying a foundation, day, you realize that this whole thing was his idea, right? You realize that God established the church. God gave us the church. In fact, Jesus Christ himself said these words, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And God has given us the church. Of course, there's the church universal. Every believer, all of us are part of the body of Christ. But then there's the local church. And God has given us the church not as a burden to be born or a weight to carry. He's given it to us as a blessing. He's given us the church because he loves us. He's given us this church because it is a good gift. Now, how does that strike you, beloved? How does that comment strike you? The church is a good gift out of the heart of a loving heavenly father. How does that strike you? Well, let me just say about it. Your answer to that question of how that strikes you will tell you a lot about your view of the church. And it'll also tell you if you need the Lord to do a work in your heart to get you to the point where you see the church as a blessing and not as a burden. I've been thinking about that this week. And that is, why do some people, why do they, they don't like to go to church? They don't like to spend time in church. They struggle with it. They avoid it. They don't really want to go. If they have to go, they will. But they don't want to go. And even when they do go, they don't really want to be there. Why is that? And I thought about that quite a bit. And this morning, I want to serve as an auto mechanic. I want to be like an auto mechanic, if you will. You know, if you're having trouble with your car... It's making a noise. It's not running right. Something's wrong. You do what? You take it to a mechanic eventually. I mean, you try to deal with it for a while and try to figure it out. And you hope your neighbor can tell you your friend down the road. But then finally it comes to the point. You've got to take it to the shop. The mechanic pops the hood. And he begins to explore and look around and do diagnostics and maybe hook it up to a machine or they even have a stethoscope. They'll get the stethoscope out and stick in there and try to figure out what's going on. I want to do that today in our lives. I want us to pop the hood on our lives to do some diagnostics and figure out why the church is not the blessing to us that it should be if that is the case in your life. Now, some will say, well, I love the church and and, and it's a blessing to me. Well, just go ahead and take a nap then, okay? But if you struggle a little bit, even a little bit, let's talk about this. Why is it that people struggle with their church life? Why is it they struggle with church attendance? Now, listen, it could be if you're struggling with church life, it might be that you're not saved. Now, listen, don't be too shocked. I don't want to put a doubt in anybody's mind. I don't want to put a question mark where God has put an exclamation point in anybody's life. If you're saved, you're saved. But I say that because, beloved, churches are filled with people who are not truly saved. That is a sad but true statement. And I'll be honest, if I were not saved and I had to come to church Sunday after Sunday and Sunday... And I had to sit and listen to the fact that I'm lost and I'm headed to hell and I'm under God's condemnation. I'd be miserable, too. And I wouldn't want to come to church. 
And if I sat week after week resisting the working of the Holy Spirit, I'd be miserable too. I think I'd want to be anywhere rather than a gospel teaching, gospel preaching church. If I were not saved. And God kept working on my heart. And I kept resisting. And I knew every time I come, I'm reminded of that. Now you're in Hebrews 10. Right. To constantly reject the spirit's call, beloved, to salvation in Christ is a fearful thing. To say no to Jesus over and over. To hear the gospel, to understand the gospel, to know that you need to be saved, to know that you're lost and to continue to reject him. Friend, that's a fearful thing to do. You're not promised tomorrow. The Bible says, God says, my spirit shall not always strive with man. And I want you to notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll pick up the reading at verse 26. This is not our main focus, but it comes right after our main focus. Look at verse 26, Hebrews 10, 26. The Bible says, for if we willfully sin after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. What's that talking about? Well, we have a knowledge of the truth, it says, yet we willfully sin. There's no longer a sacrifice. What does that mean? Well, I think it means this, beloved. We hear the gospel. We know the truth, but we willfully reject it and we continue to reject it. And friend, if you continue to reject it, there's no other way of salvation. There remains no longer a sacrifice for sins. If you won't come God's way, you're not going to come. And Jesus is God's way. Look at verse 27. Here's what awaits a person who constantly rejects and finally rejects the Lord Jesus. Verse 27. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who's rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who has trampled the son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. Drop down to verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Friend, to die without the Lord Jesus Christ is an eternity in hellfire. Now, God doesn't want that for anybody. He says, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But if you can sit there week after week and harden your heart and harden your heart and harden your heart. There may come a day where God quits speaking to your heart. Say, when does that happen? I don't know. And I don't want to find out. Let me ask you today, friend, are you saved? Has there been a time in your life where you recognized you're a sinner, you're lost, you're undone, and you realize that um, Jesus Christ came for you and he lived a sinless, perfect life and he shed his precious blood. He took upon himself the sin of the world and and he, he did that for you and he arose again. And if you'll trust him by faith, turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ, he will forgive you and cleanse you and make you a child of God. Are you saved today? That's where we need to start. If not, may I invite you to Christ today. Turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there are many who say, well, preacher, I know that's settled. I know I'm saved. Confident of that, I know if I died today, I'd be in heaven. 
But I still struggle with this whole church thing. Well, there's a second reason why you might be struggling. If it's not the first one, maybe it's this one. You're wrestling with God's call on your life. You're wrestling with God's call on your life. You know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, yet you haven't followed his call upon your life. You know, God calls us to do various things. The very first call upon your life, your child of God, would be baptism. The Bible tells us to go and preach the gospel and make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's not a Baptist invention. Jesus said that. And the very first step of obedience for a child of God is baptism. Submitting to that, saying to everybody who sees you get baptized, I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. A public testimony, a public confession. It shows the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ pictured in that form there. It also shows the fact that your old person is dead and you're a new person in Christ. And so it could be that you are miserable because you come to church, but you've not obeyed the Lord in believer's baptism. You haven't followed his call in your life. For you, it might be church membership. Or it might be baptism and church membership. There are folks here, and uh, maybe you've been here for a short time. Maybe you've been here for years, and God has brought you here, and he's ministered to you. You know, this is your church home, but you've never made that official. You've never taken that step to say, hey, I want to join this church. I want to be a part of this body officially. I want to plant my life. I'm already here. I want to make it official. And maybe God's been dealing with you about that. You said, no, I don't want to do that. I don't really want to do that. They might hand me a stack of tithe envelopes or something. I did that. But if God's led you here and he wants you to join here, you need to be obedient to him in that. It might be an area of service that God has called you to. Maybe he's burdened your heart. Maybe you need to become a Sunday school teacher. Maybe he wants you to serve a week in the nursery. Maybe he wants you to sing in the choir. Maybe he wants you to do something else. And he's pressed your heart about that. And yet you resist that. No wonder you're miserable. You come week in and week out and God keeps bringing that up and you keep resisting the spirits working in your life. No wonder you're resisting his call. You're disobeying him. Beloved, if you're wrestling with God's call today upon your life, quit resisting and respond in faith. <clears throat> There's a third thing. Maybe you say, well, preacher, I'm saved and man, I'm baptized. I'm a member here and I serve. And well, it could be that you've got unconfessed sin in your life. You've got unconfessed sin in your life. You're saved. You're on your way to heaven. But you're out of fellowship with God. And friend, if that's the case, that's simple enough. Get right with God. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, God does not allow His children to sin and get away with it. He brings conviction in our life. One of the reasons that you know that you're a child of God is because you can't sin and get away with it. He convicts your heart. He doesn't work in your heart. And you sit and yeah, you ought to be miserable. I've been there too. Because you're resisting. You know you need to confess that sin. You know you need to get right about that thing. You know you need to go to that individual. Whatever it is and get it right. And yet you resist. Go back and look at David's life. How miserable he was. But God didn't give up on him. He sent the prophet. He said, thou art the man. And he got right about it. And if you've got unconfessed sin in your life today, no wonder you're not enjoying church. Why? Because when you walk in here, conviction hits you. 
And boy, that only does that. Boy, it impedes your worship, doesn't it? You just can't lift your voice like you used to. You can't pray like you used to because you haven't got right about that thing. Get right about it. The reason there's conviction in your life is because God loves you. That's why he won't let you have peace about that till you get it right. We've got to hurry. It could be that you fall into idolatry. You fall into idolatry. You say, well, wait a minute, preacher. I mean, we don't worship rocks and we don't worship sticks. We don't worship statues. Yeah, but many a child of God. And I've seen it through the years here and other places. That it takes something that starts out good and starts out wonderful in their life. And they let it get out of hand. They let it get too important in their life. Maybe they buy a lake house, a beach house. They get involved in sports or something. And they, all of a sudden they begin, but a little bit, well, we're going to miss church this week. They enjoy the activity and it continues to grow and it can be something that they like to do, something their children like to do. And the next thing you know, they've missed church two weeks in a row and three weeks in a row, maybe a month. Then they're missing on a regular basis and they give more and more time to that thing. And it was a good thing, nothing wrong with it. And they enjoyed it. And it was a good gift from the, the hand of Almighty God. He blessed you with it, but you took his good gift and you used it to turn your heart away from the Lord and from his house and from his people. You didn't mean to, but you begin to treasure something else above Jesus. And beloved, anything that we place above Jesus is idolatry. Good things. People can make idols out of their family. Jesus Christ has had first place in our life, not just on Sunday, but every day of the week. Let me just say to you, beloved, beware of anything that pulls you away from the Lord. Beware of anything that pulls you away from the Lord. Beware when you begin to make a conscious choice to miss church. Now, it's one thing if you have to miss church. I know there are those who cannot come because of sickness. There are those who are caring for loved ones. There may be situations where you have to work and those sorts of things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you make a conscious choice to miss church. And I don't mean like one time you're going on vacation or something. I mean, you begin to make that conscious choice over and over again. Are we going to church this? No, no we're not going to church today. Beware, beloved. Beware. It could be that you've fallen into idolatry. But it could be that you've forgotten some important truths. And this gets us to the heart of our passage. That was kind of some thoughts. And now we get to the real heart of the passage that I want to focus on in the next few minutes. If none of that that I just spoke about pinpointed your issue, then lean in real close over the next few minutes as we get into this passage. By the way, how can we get to the place where church becomes more than a torture chamber? A place where we come and sit and soak and sour like a jar of pickles. How how do we get beyond that? In other words, how do we even get ourselves in that predicament in the first place? Well, it could be that we've forgotten some things. Number one, it could be, beloved, if you're miserable today, if you're struggling today, it could be that you've forgotten what Jesus did for you. You've forgotten what Jesus did for you. Now, I wish we had time to study all of this today. We do not. But here... This chapter 10 of Hebrews is telling us how great Jesus is. 
and what He's done for us. And it takes us back to the Old Testament system of sacrifices. Now, aren't you glad today that when you came to church, you didn't have to bring along a ram or a goat or something like that? And I'm sure glad you didn't because I don't want to have to take and kill that thing and pour its blood out and burn it on the altar. That's the Old Testament system. Now, let's go back and look and see what the Scripture says of just how much better Jesus is and what Jesus did for us. Go back to the first verse of Hebrews 10. It says in Hebrews 10:1, for the law having a shadow of the things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. In other words, these same sacrifices they made year after year after year, but it didn't perfect them. Verse two, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. In other words, if the blood of goats and bulls and rams would have been enough, they wouldn't have any more consciousness of sin. They would have to bring another offering. But they had to bring another offering. Why? Look at verse 3. But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. Verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. They merely covered them. They were a covering. But what happened? Every time they brought them, they were reminded they are sinners and they're conscious of their sins. And they keep having to do this. Look at verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Over and over again. But look at verse 12. But this man... The Lord Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And then I love this. Now, remember, in the Old Testament system, they're reminded every day, every time they bring an offering, I'm a sinner. This doesn't take away my sin. It covers my sin. But I got to bring another offering. It's not enough. But then Jesus comes on the scene and he offers himself once for all. Look at verse 17. Then he adds their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Hallelujah. Romans says it this way. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 18. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near With a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. We don't have to have an evil conscience anymore because our sin isn't placed on Christ and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Jesus has done for us, beloved, something no one else could. He's taken away our sin. He's granted us forgiveness forever. And he's taken away the guilt. And the the uh, the soiled conscience forever. Hallelujah. And beloved, we lose sight of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in trouble when we get over what Jesus Christ did for us. We're in trouble. 
And it could be the reason that you struggle with church attendance and worship and singing and prayer and all those things is because you've forgotten what Jesus Christ did for you. And if you're miserable today, if if church is dull and boring and ho-hum to you, you need to go spend some time at the foot of Calvary. At the foot of the cross. Spend some time gazing upon the Son of God who is dying in your place. Bleeding for you. Shedding His precious blood for you. Because He loves you that much. How can you think church is boring and ho-hum when we come to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Go spend some time at the foot of the cross and then leave there and go to His tomb. What you're going to find when you get to his tomb, beloved, is that the stones rolled away and the tomb is empty because Jesus Christ is alive forevermore. And he ever lives to make intercession. It says he sat down at the right hand of God. What an interesting thing. Those priests daily, they stood up and they were offering. They never sat down. Why? Because never, never, never could those animals take away our sin. But Jesus Christ offered himself once for all and he sat down victorious. King of kings and Lord of lords. You say, well, I'm still miserable. That could be, beloved, that you've forgotten that this is not all about you. Don't get mad at me. Let me look at, show you the scripture now. As we were reading, did you notice that phrase, let us, let us, let us. Every church, I guess, ought to have a garden full of lettuce. You know what I mean? <laughs> Look at verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Verse 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Now watch this next part. You say, oh, you're a preacher. You think we ought to be in church all the time. You think we ought to be here. No, 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 no. Look at verse 24. Not forsaking. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some. They had folks back then that laid out a church. But exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This was not my idea. God wants us together in church. God wants us together in worship. But beloved, this is not all about you and it's not all about me. Yes, we get blessed for coming. There have been times I didn't want to come. Can I just be honest with you? I have to come. Y'all fire me if I didn't. But there's been times I didn't want to come. But you know what I found when that's ever happened? I always leave blessed. And I always leave so glad that I came. Because God draws me to his heart. We get blessed for coming. But listen, we come to church. It's not about us. Our focus is not, well, when am I going to get out of church today? I hope I like the music. I hope he doesn't preach too long. I hope they don't sit next to me. I hope they don't ask us to shake hands. I can't stand that. I hope we don't sing that chorus again. I, 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 I. No, the focus is not about you. Number one, it's about Jesus. And number two, it's about others. Let us, let us, let us. James Draper said this. He said, we test our worship experience by whether or not it blesses us, whether or not it challenges us. It's all about us. But he says the real test for us is not what we get out of it, but what we give to it. 
We have a responsibility to God to give encouragement to one another. We're to consider one another. That's what it says. Look at verse 24 again. Right in that part where it talks about not laying out a church, not forsaking the assembling. Verse 24, let us consider one another in order to do what? To stir up love and good works. And then it says in verse 25, don't lay out, but instead exhort one another. Now, when's the last time you came to church seeking to bless somebody else? When's the last time you prayed that God would use you in your Sunday school class? God would use you in the morning worship hour. God would use you between those two hours. God would use you after church to bless somebody else. To consider somebody else. To look and see, is there someone I can encourage? Is there someone I can pray with? Is there someone I can give a hug to? Is there someone I need to minister to? Is someone hurting about me? Is there something? I, is there someone I can welcome? I don't know them. Can I go minister to them and welcome them? In other words, I'm considering one another. It's not about me and what I want. It's about the Lord and about others. And you know what I found, beloved? Here's the great thing. The more you live like that, the more you're blessed yourself. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And as you give, you know what happens? God just blesses you and you receive in abundance. If you'll live the life of a servant. Now imagine what the Lord could do if a church decided to live like this. If every member of the church said, this is not about me. I'm going to church today. It's about the Lord. I'm going to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And I'm going to consider others. And I'm going to try to bless other people. I'm going to focus on Jesus and others. Beloved, people be breaking down the walls to get in a place like that where they're loved. And they see the love of God in action. And so it might be that you're struggling today with church and the church life. Because you've forgotten what Jesus has done for you. Or it could be that you've forgotten this is not all about you. It's about Jesus. And ministering to others. And in return, we get blessed. But there's a third thing. We've got to hurry. It could be that you've forgotten that Jesus is coming soon. Say, preacher, where'd you get that from? Well, look at verse 25 again. Not forsaking the assembling ourselves together is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And watch the last part. This is not something I made up. It's right in the scripture. And so much the more as you see the day, you see the day approaching. What day? The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, why is this important? How does the second coming of Christ affect my worship? Well, let's be honest. If we really believe that Jesus Christ is coming back at any time. We know from our previous studies, it begins with the rapture. And if you really lived and, and really believed every day that Jesus was coming for you in the next moment, that wouldn't just affect Sunday. That wouldn't just affect church. That affect every moment of your life. If you really got up this morning and say, today could be the day. Jesus is coming again. It could be this hour. That kind of living clarifies a lot of things. It brings a lot of clarity to your life. It helps you to make sure your priorities are straight and the way they ought to be. When I remember that Jesus is coming back, that helps me to know real quick where I ought to be on Sunday morning, if at all possible. I ought to be in his house with his people worshiping and praising him and serving my brothers and sisters in Christ. By live remembering every day that uh, Jesus Christ could come back at any moment, it helps me to know there's some places I would hate to be found. If Jesus Christ came back at that moment, it helps me to stay away from those places. If I really believe and live that like Jesus Christ has come back at any moment, there are some things that I would hate 
for him to catch me doing when he came back that very moment and raptured me to heaven. It could be today that church is not what it ought to be because of some things that are not right in your heart. Now, listen, we've looked under the hood long enough. We've done the diagnostics. We've looked at the scripture. We've poked, we've prodded, we've listened. Now, here's the thing, beloved. It's time to talk about what we found and then what to do about it. What has God spoken to you about today? Do you need to be saved today? We'd love to help you with that. We'd love to take a Bible and share Christ with you and lead you to the cross. Maybe you need to take the next step that God has called you to. Maybe for you it's baptism. You need to come and say, hey, I need to be baptized. Can we schedule a time? I'd love to talk with you about that. For you, it might be church membership. Maybe you need to come today and present yourself. You say, what will happen, preacher? We will welcome you and then we'll schedule a time to sit down. We'll talk about your salvation experience and about what we believe in our church covenant. We'll schedule a time and we'll vote on you as a church family. It could be that God's laid upon your heart an area of service. And you say, well, I'm just going to wait. You know, the nominating committee is not till later. No, don't wait till nominating committee. If God's called you to serve in some area, you need to step out in faith and obey the Lord. Maybe the day you were living with unconfessed sin in your life. Why? Confess it. Get right about it. Come today. First John 1 9. It could be you're practicing idolatry. You've let everything else and all kinds of things take the place. And maybe you need to meet together as a family and say, listen, we have gotten our priorities out of line. We've done some things we ought not to have done. We're going to get back in church or we're going to be at church and we're going to plant our lives there and be ministered there. And it may be you need to remember some important things today. Number one, what Jesus Christ did for you and rekindle your love for the Lord Jesus. Number two, it might be you say, you know what, I've been selfish. I've tried to make everything about me and what I want, what my preferences are. But it's not about me. It's about Jesus and others. And I want to humble myself and I want to be a servant. And I want to come and I want to serve Jesus and serve others. And it may be that you've forgotten today that Jesus Christ is coming again. Now, listen, you take your car to the mechanic. And then give you a whole list. And by the way, if he's like my mechanic, they'll give you a whole list of all the things that are wrong and what you ought to get fixed. But listen, it's up to you. What are you going to do? You can drive off. Or you can get them fixed. The choice is yours today. We're going to pray. We're going to sing and the altar's open today. If I can help you in any way, shape or form, I'd love to do that. We have others that will be glad to pray with you as well. There's no time to waste. Our days are numbered. So teach us to number our days. We may gain a heart of wisdom. You want a heart of wisdom? Get right with God today. Be obedient. Father, thank you for our church family. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Father, that you don't leave us to ourselves and you don't leave us in our sin. You love us too much for that. And you burden us and you convict us because you want to bring us back into a right fellowship with you. Father, we've covered a whole host of things today. And I don't know what you've said to each individual person here and what the Holy Spirit's dealing with their heart about. But my prayer is that they would respond in faith today. That church could be for them the wonderful blessing that you intend it to be. A place where we worship and exalt the Lord Jesus. A place where we minister to one another and we receive ministry in return. And so, Father, I give this invitation to you. 
You have your will and your way accomplished, I pray in Jesus name. Amen. Our closing hymn. 305, I have decided to follow Jesus. Don't delay the altars open. You come today, pray, get right. We can help you with salvation, baptism, membership, whatever it is God will in your heart says. You be obedient. Let's spend this time with you. 305, let's stand together and sing. The altars open. I have decided to follow Jesus.